All right, we're looking at we're looking at Genesis three this morning. We're talking about the fall of man, uh, which happened in Genesis three. Covers most of that chapter. That's considered the the fall chapter, um, and so we're going to look at it. Um, we're going to read uh, not all of it, but we're going to look at the first few verses of Genesis three, Genesis three one through six, and it reads as thus. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Uh, One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And God said you must not eat it or even touch it, and if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing uh, both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted wisdom uh, that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Uh, Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. I know it. So we're, we're, we're looking at the fall. And we're not, we're not going to be pointing fingers here. This would be a perfect time to just go in on the women. Uh, man. Uh, but, but we're not going to do that. Um, but we, we want to look at the fall of man a little differently than normal. Uh, normally, we look at the fall from the backside of it, what the fall caused and what that means to us today. But we're going to look on the foreside of it, the front side of it, what caused the fall. Um, we're going to look at that. And so it's going to be a little different perspective, uh, but I want you to follow me and get with it. Uh, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for all of your many blessings and for um, that you would be here with us this morning. God, we thank you for all the things that you've done for us. We thank you for... Uh, my people here, my family, um, it means so much to me, every single one of them. Uh, God, we ask that you just clear our hearts, um, clear that space, God, regardless of what has gone on this week, regardless of what we've been through in the past uh, weeks and months, God, but we ask that you clear our hearts this one day uh, for a few minutes, God, clear our hearts and prepare our hearts and minds and souls to hear from you. And God, when we hear the word, help us not to harden our heart, but help us to ask the question as we hear your word, God, what do you want me to do? God, please forgive us of our sins. Wash us with your forgiveness, God, right now, please. And prepare us, God, prepare us to hear from you. God, prepare me even in this moment, God, uh, to be your vessel. God, pour through me to your people. Um, I'm only a mailman. And uh, God, deliver your mail. Uh, Your people have mail today. And so God helped me deliver that, and I thank you. Uh, be with me now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so verse 1 uh, says that in, in talking about the fall and addressing the fall and everything that's going on, the first thing it lets us know is that the serpent is crafty. I forgot the, the word that it used, uh, shrewd. Shrewd it calls him. Uh, in that particular version, um, in the ESV, it says that he is crafty. 
Now, before it goes into the fall, before, before it goes into what the serpent said to Eve and, and the whole spill, before it even goes into that, the first thing it lets you know is that if you're going to understand this story, you have to know that the serpent is crafty. Now, that word is a Hebrew word, Aram, and that word doesn't just mean uh, that he is bad. It has a bad connotation, which means he's up to no good. But it's not just because we've all seen bad before. Uh, if you've seen kids, you've seen bad. And so, but this is a different kind of bad. This, this is a bad that is letting you know he's not just bad. He's not just devilish. He's not just up to no good. He is clever. He is extremely intelligent. And, and you have to know that the way he goes after man, he wants them to fall. He sees that they have inherited paradise and he wants them to lose it. And what he, the way he goes about it is, it's, it's, it's pretty crafty. It's pretty clever. And so we have to be aware of the way the devil works. And that's why we're going to talk about it. Because we have to be aware, Paul said later on in the New Testament, he said, I wouldn't have you ignorant of the devil's devices. You know, if, if this were, uh, if we were an army, and the Bible does speak of us as being an army, an army would, if, if it were the USA against whoever, some of the USA's leaders are, are the leaders of our army, captains and lieutenants and, who, and majors and generals and whoever else, they would meet in the room and they would talk about the enemy's strategies, okay? And they would say the enemy wants to do this. And because we know that he wants to do this, this is what we're going to do, okay? And as we sit here in this room, all leaders, all, all representing the army of God, I want to talk about today what the devil wants to do. Because if we don't know how he operates and we don't know what he wants to do, if we don't know the way that he strategizes then we can't beat them. Does it make sense? So we're going to talk about it. And so the first thing he does is he says to Eve, now keep in mind, the way the garden is set up, they can pretty much eat of anything in the garden. There is one tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they can't eat from the one tree. Okay, And so the devil comes up to Eve and he does a, a, a really, it's a pretty crafty uh, method. He's trying to get in her head. He's trying to get under her skin. And I knew that method when I saw it. So he says to her, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, um, so you just can't eat any of the trees. Okay, And so he knows that she can eat some of the trees. He knows that there's only one that she can't eat, but he's trying to get under her head. He's trying to get under her head, and he's trying to get under her skin, okay? I know this strategy when I see it employed because I've used it many times uh, as a youngster. I wasn't the devil, but I was devil-ish, okay? I was devil-ish. My parents had many other words to describe it. Uh, some of them I can't repeat, but... Uh, I was I was devil-ish, I'll just say that. But what he does is a tactic I used to call throwing salt on the wound, okay? Throwing salt on the wound. I remember if my brother, sometimes we, he would get in trouble, uh, rarely because he's the favorite. Um, <laughs> but but every, every blue moon 
Whenever, literally, when, whenever the moon would turn blue, however often that happens, that doesn't happen often, but he would get in trouble sometimes. And so when he would get in trouble, I would, oh, I would relish, I would relish in that moment because it probably wasn't going to come around again for another year or two. And so I would definitely take advantage of it. And so uh, there might be a time where he did something, he said something, it's okay, well, he can't go outside all day. Okay, he can't go outside all day. Now, I know that he can't go outside all day. And we would play basketball. I wasn't going to go outside without him. He was my, my only playmate. Uh, and, and so he can't go outside. Well, I'll just, I'll just stay here and bother him. And so when I, I would wait until my father and mother left the room and just when I knew that they were good in the way, but, and I had to wait until they left because if they caught me in the act of teasing him, I could get a whooping for that. And so, but still yet, this was too good of an opportunity. It could not be passed up on. And so I would wait for them to leave the room, go down the hall. So you just can't ever go outside again, can you? That's, that's pretty much, that's, is, is that what, that's what I heard. And, and, and so he would get on the defensive. And it was crazy because no matter how many times I did this, it would always work every single time. Now, he's not here today, uh, so that's why we're talking about it. But, uh, but I would, but I, and I knew, I knew that this was only going to last one day. But I was trying to, and the whole, the whole purpose of that tactic, throwing salt on the wound, the reason that you would want to do it is because if you see that the person uh, isn't as upset as you'd like them to be, okay? Uh, you see the situation they're in. They're not as upset as you'd like them to be. And throw, you, you, you throw a little salt on the wound to make them more upset, uh, a little more agitated, and thus giving you peace uh, or giving me peace. And so, and this is what the devil does. He knows, that she, he knows that she can eat of any tree in the garden except one. And so he comes to her and literally says, so you can't eat any of the trees. And so he's trying to get under her skin. He's trying to get in her head. And ultimately, he's trying to change her perspective. Now, they're in paradise. The word Eden literally means paradise. And so it can't get any better than what they have it. But he's trying to make what is a good situation look bad. He's trying to change her perspective. And ultimately, we have to realize, now look at his, he's, and I want you to get this. I want you to see this. Now she and Adam are in the midst of the garden. They're in the midst of paradise. He doesn't go around clipping flowers and, and pulling up bushes trying to mess up paradise. And so he has two options. I can either mess up paradise. He doesn't light a match and try to burn down the Garden of Eden. He doesn't do any of that. And so he has two options. I can either mess with paradise or I can mess with the way they see paradise. And in your life, he's trying to do the same thing. He is... The devil, if you don't remember anything else, the devil is after your perspective. He's not after your job. He doesn't want your job. He don't want to work for them. He don't want your job. Okay, how much you make? The, the devil doesn't work. He doesn't want to work for anybody. 
He would rather be, he would rather be in the middle of hellfire and be his own boss than come work for somebody else. Okay? He doesn't want your job, but what he wants to do is change the way you see your job. He doesn't want your kids. I talked to him about it. Trust me, he don't want them. He don't want them. We, we, got, we got bodyguards uh, in the back, security back for those of you that have kids back there. Now, you might have to worry about somebody off the street coming to get them. You ain't got to worry about the devil going back there to get them. He don't want them. Okay? Now, he doesn't want your kids. What he does want to do is change the way you see them. He doesn't want your spouse. But he, he wants to change your perspective of your spouse. And so it's, it's almost like this. So I'm standing here. There are two steps before I get to the bottom. One, two, no, three. Um, that, wasn't, that wasn't cool. Um, so there are three steps to the bottom. There are three steps to the bottom. Now, now he doesn't, now keep in mind, he wants me to fall like he wanted them to fall. And this is ultimately how the fall happened. Now, there are three steps to the bottom. He doesn't push them. He doesn't strong arm them. He doesn't trip them up. This is not a hostage situation. Okay? Now, this is how he works. He does nothing physical. He doesn't take the, the apple and put it in her face and tease her. He doesn't do any of that. Now, wanting her to fall and wanting me to fall, and even in this analogy, he would make me think that I only have one step or two steps to the bottom. Now, there are three, but if I think there are two, I'll, I'll go at it as if there are two. Even psycholog- uh, psychologists will tell you that. In your mind, perception is reality. Perception is reality. Like for you, it's the way that you will attack and you will go at life the way you see it. And so when you sit down with a counselor, one of the first things they want to know, I live, I live with a counselor, one of the first things that they want to know when they sit down with you is how do you see it? What do you see? What's your opinion on, on, on what's going on around you? And so wanting me to fall, he wouldn't push me. He wouldn't trip me up. But he would want me to think that there are two steps when there are three. Because if he changes my perspective, he doesn't have to push me. I'll fall myself. And, what, and ultimately, he wants you to fall in your marriage. He wants you to fall on your job. He wants you to fall in your relationship with God. And, what, and how does he do that? He changes your perspective. Because he knows if I can get her to see her husband differently, she'll cheat on him, she'll cheat on him herself. And you have to guard against that. You have to guard against that. Those of you that are married, protect. You have to stand guard against the way you see your wife. Wives, stand guard against the way you see your husbands. The devil wants to change the way that you see them. Because if he can change your perspective, he doesn't have to trip you up. You'll cheat yourself. You'll fall yourself. You'll trip your own self up if you could just see it differently from what it already is. And he doesn't care how much good you have going on in your life, on, on your job, in your marriages. 
his, the challenge that he takes on is, it doesn't matter how good it is, I can make it look bad to you. I can make it feel bad to you. I don't care how good of a woman she is. Uh, if, if, if you let me, that's why the Bible says don't give place to the devil uh, and, and don't give him room, don't give him space. Because if you give him space and you start listening to him, he'll convince you. He'll convince you. He'll convince you that you should have never married that person. He'll convince you, no matter how good he or she is, that you made a mistake. He'll convince you, no matter how, uh, no matter how good that job is, that that job absolutely stinks. One thing he would like you to do is have uh, what I would like to call spiritual farsightedness. He wants you to be spiritually farsighted. When you're farsighted, things look really good over there. But then when they're here, it, it, it's blurry. I can't really see it that good. He wants that person that you married to look, they look really good. They look really good when they're over there. You're not married to them. You just, you just get to know them. They're over there. But then when they're here and they're yours, oh, this, oh, oh. That's spiritual farsightedness. He, he, he wants to do that in your head. He wants you to change your mind about your Eden. He wants you to change your mind about your spouse. He wants you to change your mind about your kids. He wants you to change your mind. And so look back over the last five years. Have you changed your mind about your spouse? Do you see them the way you saw them when you stood in, on, that, on that day and uh, with all those expensive flowers that were just ridiculous? Uh, and, 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 the, and the food. Like, do you see them the way you saw them that day? That's hard to protect. That's hard to protect. For those of you that are married, that's hard to protect. For those of you that are going to get married, congratulations, we'll talk about it later. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that's hard to protect. And he is after the way you see your Eden. He's not trying to push you. He's not trying to shove you. He's not trying to, he's not really after your kids. You know, oh, the devil's after my kids. No, he's not. He's after the way you see your kids. And it doesn't matter how much hell your kids raise. If he doesn't change the way you see them, you'll still keep praying for them. You won't give up on them. You'll take them to the throne of grace and say, God, do something about this child. But when you give up on them, you'll stop praying. You'll back off, and ultimately, that's what he wants, and he's tripped you up. And so all of sin, all of sin starts with a change in perspective. Starts with a change in perspective. It, was, it, it, it is true that the Bible says that the same people that praised Jesus and said Hosanna and praised him today, the next day were shouting, crucify him. And I wonder what it is in your life that you praised God for six months ago that you, that you wish you had a receipt for today. I wonder what you thanked God for a year ago that you wish that now there was a customer service line in heaven so you could say, God, I, I know I said I wanted this, but um, I, I need you to take this back. I know I said I wanted this job. I know I said I wanted this man. I know I said I wanted this woman. I know I said I wanted kids, but now you've changed your mind about them. 
And I'm telling you, when perspective changes, sin is around the corner. The Bible says in the sixth verse, the Bible says, so the devil works on her and changes her perspective. And the Bible said that, thank you, Jesus. The Bible says that in the sixth verse, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, when she saw that it was appealing to the eye and that it was good to eat for wisdom, when she saw that, when, when what she saw changed, the tree didn't change the way she saw it changed. In the very next verse says that when what she saw changed, she took it and ate it. Now, the devil doesn't trip her up. The devil doesn't push her. The devil doesn't get some, uh, some fruit off of the tree and say, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. He doesn't do that. I can't believe I just said that in front of 300 people. Um, uh, Chris, delete, delete the last five seconds off the thing. Uh, I can't believe I said that. And so ultimately, what he wants to do is change your mind. He wants to change your mind. And so you have to be careful. Look at your wives, look at your husband, look at your family, look at your friends, look at people that you've been praying, that you prayed for a year ago. Are you still praying for those people? Think about the people that you prayed for uh, two years ago, three years ago. Are you, are you still praying for those people? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not, because if you've given the devil any space, he's changed the way you see them and you've stopped. In which, you, in which you first thought was a just cause, now you're looking at it as a lost cause. And so I want you to know, well, how does he do this? How does he change your mind about anything? How does he change your mind about your life? And this is how he does it. You have to picture your life as a computer screen, right? As a computer screen on a laptop. Now, Picture that there are two tabs on your screen, and this is everybody's screen, whether you live on the street or whether you're Donald Trump, you have two tabs, you have two places. And so on one screen, on one tab, you have the good things that are in your life, the good in your life. And then in the other tab, there are the things that you don't like about your life. We'll say that we'll call that the bad in your life. Okay. And so everybody's life, nobody's life is all good. Nobody. Even in Eden, there was one thing that they didn't like. Nobody's life is perfect. And so nobody's life is all good, but it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how, how tough of a time you might be going through even right now. Nobody's life is all bad. Nobody's life is all bad. And so nobody's life is either all good or all bad. It is a mixture of both. It is a mixture of both. And so here's what the devil does. He knows that in your life there's one tab, that uh, there's one internet tab that is uh, good things, and there's another internet tab that is bad things. What he wants to do, he wants to minimize the, the good and maximize or magnify the bad. Okay, he wants to minimize the good and he doesn't matter. And it's crazy. I, I was reading the internet the day. There was a guy who with a healthy family, a healthy wife and kids and millions of dollars in the bank. He shoots himself, takes a gun and shoots himself in the mouth, kills himself, blows his brains out. 
And, and the devil, he, and, and you might think, oh, if I had a million dollars, ah, the devil, I'm out of his reach. And it's like, not really. Not really. Because no matter how much you have on that screen that's all good, he will take it as a personal challenge to try to make you think that you are in hell. And so in everybody's life, there is good and there is bad. He wants to minimize the good and maximize the bad. He wants to click on, take the mouse that is your mind. He wants to take the mouse that is your mind, click on the bad and maximize it on your screen so that is all you see. That is all you see. There was only one tree. There was only one thing that they didn't like about the situation. But the devil clicked on it put it on the screen so that's all they could see, and then they became focused on it. They became obsessed with it. And they, even though they are in paradise, they are upset. Even though they are in paradise, and, and, and as good as the situation, as good can be, they're upset about it. They're discontent. Could it be and I know that some of us are asking, and I believe even in this room, almost all of us, I believe, are asking God to change our life in some way, to change something about our life. Could it be that you don't need to change your life, that God doesn't need to give you a better job, but maybe give you a better perspective about the job you already have? Could it be that, the, that, the, that God doesn't need to send you a new man? but give you a, a better perspective about the man that you already have? Could it be that you don't need new kids? I don't know how you would do that. <laughs> but but you, know, you can't exactly turn them in and get some new ones. But, but could it be that you just need to have a new perspective about the kids you already have? Think about the things you're praying for and say, God, change my perspective. Because if you take a step back and look at it, if you would stop letting the devil click on the bad uh, and, 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 and use your mind to click on the bad and actually click on the good and put it on the screen and look at it, you would find that your life is better than you think. You would find that that same God you've been crying to, you should be, you should be thanking him. You should be thanking him because he's better than you think. The Bible says in Philippians 4 and 8, it says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Put it on the screen. And if there's, if there's anything in your life that's going well, put it on the screen. Your ability to have joy in your life, your ability to be content with what God has done for you hinges on your ability to minimize the bad and maximize the good. And if you can't do that, God can give you a million dollars and you'll never be happy. If you can't do that, he can give you a new man and you'll never be happy. He can, he can swap your wife out and you still won't be happy because he'll only, because nobody's all good anyway, all he'll do, oh, fine, he'll let you have a new man and take that man's bad and put it on the screen and maximize it. 
and then you'll still be unhappy. You'll still be right back at square one crying at the foot of your bed. And so your ability to have joy in your life, if, if, if you can get this and, and, and master this and get this down, you will never have another bad day. Since the day that I tried to take my life years ago, since that day and, and, and since God teaching me how to minimize the bad and maximize the good, I haven't had a bad day since. Now, I'm not telling you that everything has always been good, but I'm telling you that the devil can't mess with the way I see it. He can't convince me that my life is all bad. I will find something to praise God for. I will find something to maximize. That's why Philippians 4 and 8 says, Whatsoever things are of good, honest, just, good report, pure. If there be any praise, there be any virtue, any praise, maximize it. I have literally driven past McDonald's and said, good God, the McDouble is still $1.19. God is good and he is worthy to be praised. And and, and from the rising of the sun to the going down the same, I'm going to give him glory. It's still $1.19. And you can get two apple pies for less than that. Are you serious, devil? You're going to try to sell baby and convince me that my life ain't good? You get two apple pies for a dollar? Are you serious? Don't get me started on that because that's not even on here. (laughs) But he can't convince me that God hasn't blessed me. He can't convince me that God's not good. He can't convince me that God isn't still sitting high and looking low. He can't convince me that God is, is trying to bring about bad in my life. He can't convince me. And if you get this, I promise you, I'm not saying that bad things won't happen, but I'm saying you'll never have another bad day. If you learn how to minimize the bad and maximize the good. A guy in this very church who taught me that, his name is Chuck, he's sitting right here. Uh, Chuck, and I, I don't want to tell too much about his situation, but him and his family are going through some things. Uh, his, his, his wife has incurred uh, what the doctors are at least saying, not one, but, but, but two uh, terminally ill sicknesses um, on top of, um, what's the name of the first one? Uh, Catacill. And, 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 and um, am I right in saying that her? Uh, she actually beat the breast cancer. So. Oh, she beat breast cancer. <laughs> Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. But even before Chuck knew that she beat it, I would see him and I would go to him thinking, okay, uh, what am I going to say to encourage him? And whenever I would get to him, before I could even get it out of my mouth, he would say, hey, man, how are you doing? What can I pray for you about? Like, what? What can you pray for me about? What are you talking about? Like, I... Like, I I couldn't even fathom how he was smiling and walking around and trying to encourage me. But what is his secret? How does he do that? He's not magic. How does he do it? Well, he's, he's minimized the bad. And he's maximized the good. And he said, and he's made up his mind, God, I will praise you no matter what. It was Job after he went through all that he went through. He said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
And, and, and that is what you have to do. You have to find something good and thank God for it. You have to find, you have to find something good and thank God for it. Thank God for your wife. You that are married, thank God for your husband. Thank God for your kids. Thank God for your job. I guarantee you there is somebody who would love to trade places with you. I don't care. And, and I mean, we can start here and go down the road to the back. For everybody in here who is discontent with your situation, I promise you, you give me 10 minutes, I'll drive down the street. I won't even have to leave Platte Springs Road. I can find somebody who would switch places with you and say, oh, that's, that's, I, I, I get to have that? Oh, yeah. Sign me up. Sign me up. I promise you there's somebody who would trade places with you. And so the devil really is not winning. Some of you need to apologize to God because you haven't praised God since the last time. Thinking that the devil was winning. No, he's really not winning. He hadn't messed with your kids. He really hadn't messed with your job. You still got one. He really has those of you that have a spouse, even if you're arguing with them, at least they're still there. At least they're still there. You got a wife. You got a husband. Thank God for that person. You know, you may, you, you may not be, uh, man, you, you may not be eating steak every night, but at least you're eating. At least they're cooking sometimes, you know. You may not have money in, in, in your pocket every day, but at least you have money at least sometimes. At least for the, for the, for the few moments that it is, it has been directly deposited to the time at least at least for a few minutes at least for a couple of hours your bank account is full and you and we have to be thankful david said in the in the 34th psalms he said i will bless the lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth uh he said in the third verse he said oh magnify the lord magnify maximize the lord with me <laughs> and let us exalt his name together help me take god and and take him off this little thing and let me take god and put him on the big screen because he's been too good he said magnify magnify the lord with me let's magnify him and so when i look at that david can't make god any bigger which shows who praise is really for. So if, so if praise doesn't make God any bigger, it's for you to see him bigger than you see him. So really, praise isn't for God. Praise is for you. God gave you, when he gives you the opportunity to praise him, when the Bible says that, let everything that have breath praise the Lord. When he gave you the opportunity, and all of you in this room have the opportunity to praise them, which is why it's so crazy, like when we had the opportunity to praise, and we just got, uh, you know. He, he is giving praises for you. And so don't sit there and play hard to get, like you just don't feel like it today. You just ain't feeling it today. This praise isn't for God, it's for you. It's for you. You can't make him any bigger. He gave you praise so that you can see him bigger than you see him. And it is in those moments of praise. That's, that's why praise is a weapon. And for those of you that are praisers, you know that praise, praise helps me. 
And, and, and when I know, that's why God talks about how big he is and, and how amazing he is. And the Bible says from the rising of the sun to going down the same, his name is worthy to be praised. Uh, you know, how great is our God in all the earth, David says. When, when he's saying those things, he's saying it because, and even looking at that verse, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. He says, magnify, help me. Help me. He's saying, help me. I need to see God bigger. He, he's going through a tough time because he said, I need to see God bigger than I see him. I don't see him big enough. The devil has been winning lately. He's had control over my mind. He's had, he's had the steering wheel and my spirit, and he's taking it where he wants to go. And, and if, if you're in this room and you've allowed the devil to take control of your mind, if you've allowed the devil to rob you of your peace and rob you of your joy, you need to take the steering wheel back right now in the name of Jesus. And say, devil, get your hand off the mouse that is my mind. Forget what's going on. I don't care what's going on this bad. I'm going to click on this good and praise God for it. And even in those moments of praise, and this will, this will decide the peace in your life. It will also decide your greatness, how much God can use you. The Bible says that the greatest, Jesus said, the greatest man born a woman. Who is it? Anybody? Who, who in Jesus' opinion, Jesus' opinion, is the greatest man born a woman? Greatest man ever. Who did Jesus say is the greatest man ever? Anybody? Who? John the Baptist. The greatest man born a woman, Jesus said. And look at John the Baptist's outlook. What made John the Baptist so great? It wasn't the way he dressed. The Bible said that he wore uh, sheepskins, I think it is. He wore sheepskins. He ate locusts and wild honey. It wasn't what he was eating. It wasn't the way he was living. He lived in the wilderness. He, in essence, was homeless. And so John the Baptist, according to Jesus, is the greatest man born of woman. What makes John the Baptist great? John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. It is that attitude and that ability that decides how much God can use you, whether it's preaching or singing or being a witness on your job or whatever it is that you do. Your ability to be, to be used by God hinges on your ability to minimize yourself and maximize him. And I can tell, I can tell who can do it and who really can't do it because that's all that praise is. In that moment of praise, that's all that happens. It is your ability to praise, whether no matter what praise looks like for you, hinges on your ability in that moment to minimize yourself. Forget how I feel. Forget whether people are looking at me or not. Forget whether I don't really like this song. Uh, it, ain't, it ain't good, good father, but oh well, who cares? And so your ability to minimize yourself and maximize him. And so some of you can't maximize him because in that moment, you can't minimize yourself. And, 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 and how you look means too much. How you feel means too much. And so you can't bring yourself to maximize him because you can't minimize yourself. And so forget the fact that you know God is worthy of all praise because you can't minimize yourself. You can't even lift your hands. 
And so even as we go into worship here in a few moments, minimize yourself. Minimize yourself. David said, magnify the Lord with me. Do it with me. We all need to see him bigger. Minimize yourself and maximize him. And if you struggle with praise, and I'm going to tell you this and let you go. Praise helps put things back in perspective. As long as you struggle with praise, you will struggle with perspective. Because if you can't minimize yourself and maximize God, even for a couple of minutes, if you can't do it here, you can't do it at home. And the devil will always attack you in that way. Because he knows no matter what he'll do, no matter what he does, that you won't be able to minimize it and maximize what God is doing in your life. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for all of your many blessings. God, we thank you for your people. God, I thank you for the way you bless them. I thank you for our, our husbands, our wives. Thank you for our children. Uh, thank you for our families and our jobs, the opportunities that we have that you have given us. God, help us to, no matter what we're going through, help us to not fall because of a bad perspective. Help us to not lose out on our Eden because of a bad perspective. God, help us to minimize the bad and maximize the good and praise your holy name. You are so good and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.